Tales Breakfast Metal episode 62. It's going to be a bit more of a relaxed episode today. I'm just going to go over a few albums I've been listening to over the last couple of weeks. Mainly stuff from 2020 and a few of albums I missed from late 2019. A couple of older ones thrown in there as well. Hopefully it'll be something to interest you in this one. It's kind of a mixed bag of genres and styles. As I say, no, no real theme to it at all. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is one I've been obsessing over from the tail end of last year. This is In Human Form with Free, uh, or whatever you, you'd pronounce the Roman numerals I-I-I-I as. This is a release from iVoid Hanger Records at the end of uh, December last year. Now, if you know anything about iVoid Hanger Records, they're a label that specialises in oddball black metal, often of the kind of more melodic avant-garde variety. Uh, in Human Form are a band from Massachusetts formed in around 2006 and as the title would suggest this is their third album and it, also there's a sort of gimmick going on there with the title because there's also three tracks on this album of ludicrous length. The opener uh, Apocrypha Carrion is 17 and a half minutes long which is just gigantic. The first thing like got me about this album was the opening riffs to this song are immensely major scale like they're they're like almost joyous which is a an odd take for black metal a usually quite depressing sounding genre but you get a lot of interesting movements even within the opening three minutes of the album so about a minute in it gives way to some more melancholy kind of darker riffing with some quite pained, like, harsh, shrieking vocals. And then out of nowhere comes an absolutely beautiful guitar solo. Uh, that then gives way to a moment of, like, pure, like, last Dossheim's Guard album worship, uh, with, like, these odd, I, I'd call them drunken pirate vocals. The vocal performance on this album is really impressive. Uh, Patrick Dupass is just the vocalist for this band, and he keeps things incredibly varied and powerful. Overall, it's an album with like a really like quite modern, slick production to it. It's not this kind of raw black metal. Um, it feels very, um, very well constructed. Like it's a group of musicians who clearly have a high level of music theory knowledge and a high level of training like the, i get the impression these guys are jazz trained musicians like the drumming throughout this album is ridiculously impressive the guitar work is absolutely brilliant both in the riffing and the myriad solos that littered through it that song i was talking about apocrypha carrion goes through so many interesting movements in his 18-minute runtime. We get more of that kind of major-scale black metal riffing, more of the beautifully uh, constructed lead guitar parts. There's a, lo a load of solos on this album. There are really constant presence in it. Also, like, really clear, well-played bass work throughout. Like, he sits really nicely in the mix. And then, as expected for the avant-garde black metal genre... There's obviously a saxophone solo. So um, Nick Clark, one of the two guitarists on this album, is also credited with saxophone alto. And then Evan Candrell um, is credited with saxophone, baritone, tenor and alto. So there's multiple sax solos throughout this album. Um, 
and I don't know who's playing each of them, but they're they're all very impressive and just absolutely fit perfectly. I guess right near the end of the track this comes in, but it's you know it's it's a really great payoff in it. The next song in it, Weeping Stones, is where they get quite interesting. This opens with these kind of that OPEF-y kind of proggy 70s keyboard and a spoken word section over some quite like mellow guitar work. Then the sort of the centre of this track builds up into a lot of trade-off solos between like the guitar, there's even a little bass lead and then more saxophone stuff. But rather than just being a totally disposable kind of slightly self-indulgent instrumental, I really like this track because it actually builds up into like this really cool epic ending in the last two minutes. Like a really worthwhile payoff for what they're doing with it. Then the final track, uh, Canonical Detritus, is just another massive song, much like the the opener, going through lots of different movements, lots of really interesting stuff, much more use of the saxophone in this. And this track's particularly interesting for its last five minutes. Like, the way it ends is, it just goes into something I can barely place as a genre. It's still decidedly metal, but because of its, like, sort of major scale nature it's kind of quite triumphant there's like only sparse bits of scream vocals and then like a cool like saxophone lead over it it just sounds incredibly kind of alien but also really beautiful it's just such a well done album the the kind of really slick production totally works in its favor this is because this band are so good at playing it's great just to be able to hear them and Honestly, it's weird, actually, in avant-garde black metal to actually have a band quite this proficient. Like, a lot of the kind of stuff on the avant-garde music label, while fantastically written music, it's not, like, your absolute, like, elite-level musicians doing it a lot of the time. It's not like, say, like, the guys from Alkaloid. Um, whereas this does feel like it can hold a candle to them. Maybe not necessarily them, but... This, this is beyond the level of your average tech death band. This is really super impressive just on the musicianship front. But the writing's also there as well. And I really, I love the restraint of this album as well, going for this kind of format of three songs over 45 minutes. Like, it's, it's, it's nice and concise. I think with the free thing, it's a bit of a gimmick I don't see the point in. Because with both the first and last track, they sort of feel like they could be split into about three or four parts. And the the kind of... I, there's some cool symbolism, I guess, in having that as a title. But as it goes, it's kind of a rubbish title. Especially when the album cover's so beautiful. It's this really, really nicely... Well, what looks like, you know, hand-painted bit of artwork. And just certainly sells the album in an interesting way. My only real criticism of this album is... Um, there's a kind of spoken word intro at the start of that Weeping Stones track, which kind of felt a bit out of place and didn't really work for me. It, much like uh, when Aglock do the kind of spoken word whispery bits, I've never really, really got my head around that. But I think it's an accepted thing in this style. Actually, also something else I want to mention, which I find it interesting they resisted the urge to do, is there's no clean vocals in this, which for an album playing with such melodicism and so on, You'd think they would throw, like the singer might attempt to throw some of that in there, but he resolutely sticks to his kind of harsher scream vocals throughout, which I think definitely works in his favour because they're playing with a lot of very melodic elements and they wouldn't want this to tip fully over 
into basically being cheesy. I think it resists that urge for the most part. For me, the real standout element of this album is the solos, both saxophone and guitar. They're just so well-constructed, so well-written, and the, obviously the playing's brilliant to make them sound quite like this, but they seem to have such a good uh, ear for melodic soloing. And yeah, if you're someone who likes that kind of very well-played lead guitar, even if black metal or avant-garde music isn't really your thing, I think this is definitely an album that could appeal. Much like, say, like White Ward released, you know, around similar time to this album, it's something that can appeal to people, I think, who don't have much of an interest in jazz based music or black metal or the hyper progressive because there's just such great uh, melodic hooks and emotional bits to grab you. You don't really need to worry about the genre all that much. So I was recently chatting to a couple of listeners of the podcast, uh, Donovan and uh, Matt from Punishing Brutality, who said I'm really bad for not saying the names of the bands enough. So what I'm going to do for this episode is before I play any clip from a band, I will say the name again as slowly and clearly as I can. So this was in human form with the album Free, and this track is Apocrypha Carrion. So I've just realised that's one I actually need to spell out. The name 
is in human form, as in I-N, space, human, space, form. And then the album title is free, as in the Roman numerals, free eyes. If you try and Google it another way, it won't come up annoyingly. <laughs> Next up, we have Afterbirth with their second album, Four Dimensional Flesh. So this is an album I was really hyped for. Afterbirth are a brutal death metal band from Long Island who have been around since 1993 and kind of got legendary with a couple of demos, but they never, back in the day, they never made it to a, a full-length album or even a proper EP release. Sadly, in 2016, their original vocalist, Matt Duncan, passed away, but they were able to team up with uh, Big Will, vocalist of Artificial Brain, Buckshot Facelift, BioLich, and other projects to fill in for them, and 2017's The Time Traveller's Dilemma was a fucking excellent album. It made my top 100 of the decade list. Really interesting stuff. So their follow-up, Four Dimensional Flesh, very much picks up where that one left off, very much in a similar mould of really interesting combination of brutal death metal with atmospheric elements and sci-fi elements. So yeah, don't be put off by that vaguely kind of slam tag. This is certainly a lot more intelligent than anything like this. There are definitely similarities with Artificial Brain, although... Afterbirth are certainly a more aggressive, more brutal band. There's more kind of straight-up blast beats and so on, and a touch less of the jazziness of uh, Artificial Brain. But what they lack in that, they certainly make up for in really interesting constructions of stuff. Uh, bass player David Case is a genius. It is absolutely incredible. Throughout this album, he's constantly doing stuff which is just just totally not what you would expect from a bass player. He throws in so many interesting sounds. He's very rarely following uh, Cody's guitar work, often doing something almost more leady, more atmospheric, loads of interesting use of like harmonics. He has quite an interesting tone as well. I'm not exactly sure how he gets it, but he like fantastically cut f cuts through the mix with with style. Um, also, the interesting thing with this band is it's just one guitar, which I think might add to the fact that like, there is space for the bass to really flesh stuff out. So, David's talents have obviously been spotted because he's in more recent years joined uh, Helmet, who are incredibly successful band. Um, yeah, the, this album has got some really great stuff to it, uh, as well as as well as those kind of like, slight spacey elements they have inside the, the, the tracks there. There is four instrumentals in its 11 tracks, uh, which really brilliantly show how instrumentals can be used in a death metal album. Like They're often something I kind of rail against because so many bands get it wrong. Even legends like Morbid Angel have trouble finding exactly how to fit them in. In this, they flow so perfectly. Uh, track 3, Girl in the Landscape, just sits just, just right between the, the two previous tracks while they're kind of mellower moments the the songs flow together perfectly they they almost feel like they could be part of the previous song and they're just that slight change in atmosphere and a chance for the band to explore their more like interesting sci-fi ideas uh, oh yeah i should mention this is a unique leader records album which yeah it, it, it's sort of it's an interesting release for them actually it's more um 
kind of more ponderous than a lot of their stuff. Like, as much as I say it is a brutal album, there's a lot of blast beats. Will's vocals, if you're not familiar with him, largely are this completely impenetrable low-end gurgle, very much uh, inspired by uh, Atti of uh, Demilich, that, that kind of ridiculous low noise. Although, compared to his work with, say, uh, Artificial Brain with Afterbirth, he does throw in some more kind of clearer mid-range growls. The lyrical concepts fit in a similar vein to Artificial Brain, although they're kind of a bit more philosophical, whereas these are far more kind of um, brutal and horror-themed, although still very much uh, sci-fi-inspired. I guess, think kind of alien, <laughs> essentially. like That, that kind of... Um, that kind of realm. Really interesting. I found out actually, he he's um, the host of Heavy Old Podcasts, so he's quite contactable online these days. And he was doing a sort of Q and A about his vocal style, and said between um, with the lyrics between his three bands, uh, Buckshot, Facelift, Afterbirth, and Artificial Brain, all the lyrics are written roughly in the same same universe. Um, like there is subtle like Easter egg style references to to each band in uh, in the other's lyrics. Like he said, like Buckshot Facelift, although their stuff is very much present day, there are some more psychedelic tracks which are kind of lyrical descriptions of, say, Artificial Brain or Afterbirth songs um, as seen by, like, a, a kind of prophet character. Which you so, say, yeah, there's amazing stuff to dig into there if you want to get into his lyrics. Obviously, it's one you'd have to have the lyric book or Google them because there's no way you can understand Will's voice. But yeah, I just thought this was a really fantastic album. I, I do think it's actually transcended its predecessor. And I think largely that's because of the use of the instrumental tracks and so on. Like, it's a, it's a short album, but it, it does just keep things incredibly interesting and adds a really good flow to it um yeah they're just it's just a very cleverly put together album and if you're looking for some modern brutal death metal i think these guys are near the top of the pile these days so yeah this this album is afterbirth uh four-dimensional flesh
Alright, so we're going to go back in time a bit for the uh, next thing I want to cover. So, obviously, the, any of those of you who listen to the end of the year show will know I've got massively into a blood incantation, much like the rest of you. But until the other week, I'd never actually listened to their um, their EP, Inter- Interdimensional Extinction, from back in 2015. So, between their formation in 2011 and 2015, they put out three demos... The last of which, Astral Spells, they got uh, Damon Good to play bass on. Damon Good um, has been in a fair few bands, probably most famously Mournful Congregation as the vocalist and bass player, Stargazer, where his bass work is fucking incredible, and Cauldron Black Ryan, where he does guitar and vocals. He's a multi-talented guy. But yeah, for this Blood Incantation album, he added Fretless Bass, because for those of you who don't know, until... Until a bit later into their career, they didn't actually have a full-time bass player. It was just the core of Isaac Falk on drums, uh, Paul Rydell on guitar and vocals, and Morris Kolontroski uh, on guitar. Now, this album, if you're familiar with stuff like Sp- Starspawn and Hidden Histories, this EP kind of is already treading that ground. You can see straight off that it's really interesting stuff. It's... It is definitely in that same vein of really forward-thinking death metal. But this is just a band that seemingly came out of the gate with the idea totally there. So debut EP, uh, already picked up by Dark Descent Records at this point. And it's just some of the most creative, fucking evil-sounding death metal. Uh, there's so many amazing ideas packed into it. Within within like the opening of the fifth tablet, the first track... Like two minutes into that, you're already going into this really strange, spacey guitar lead with these kind of echoey spoken word vocals. The bass playing is probably more standout than it is on any of their follow-up albums because Damon has kind of quite a high spot in the mix and I believe he's playing a fretless. So he gets these really weird, think uh, Steve DiGiorgio on... Um, Death's individual thought patterns, like lots of that that kind of very strange, like slides and so on. But because Blood Incantation are just a much more dissonant band, it just adds to the fucked upness of it. But then, like the lead that comes in around that point is super melodic, but just odd. But the, the guitar style of both these guitarists is just they're they're technical in the oddness of how they arrange songs. If you ever sort of look at a tab for for how they play and how they write, it just seems very alien, which fits perfectly with their their spacey concepts. Also, like it's simple, but I really fucking love the cover to this EP. It's like a black and white shot of uh, Saturn's rings, where the camera's going kind of close into the rings, but the rings are entirely made up of uh, bones and skulls and yeah. <laughs> bits of decaying human it's yeah it just looks really cool there's not much more like i can add on this beyond like kind of what we were saying about hidden histories and so on but if you like blood incantation definitely go back and get this ep it's it is just as inventive as the stuff that will come afterwards and yeah if you like this band this should be an essential bit of your collection for them it's only like 18 minutes long but then again like the most of the studio arms are well under the 40 minute mark and at this point I think we're all happy to have a few more uh, a few more tracks from Blood Incantation
So, continuing the theme of death metal bands with ludicrously good bass playing, I want to talk about a much older group. This is Pavor or Pavor from Germany. P-A-V-O-R. These guys uh, formed in 1987, apparently, um, and put out their debut album, A Pale Deliberate... A Pale Debilitating Awesome, in 1994, and then the follow-up, the album I'm going to be touring talking about today, Furioso in 2003. So kind of a very sparsely active band, but certainly a really interesting one in the realm of tech death. So I came across this band because of their bass player, Rainer Lanferman, is most famously known for being the impossibly good, like, but terrifying, confused vocalist from Bethlehem's uh, 1996 album, Dictius T. Nectar. If you've ever heard this album, his vocal performance on it is utterly unhinged chaos. It it has a lot of elements of that silence, a high-pitched shrieking, but then all the way down to, like, like, you know, your Lord Worm level, like, never being quite in time with the music, just almost jazz delivery of vocal lines. Absolutely incredible. Now, that's kind of not relevant, because he doesn't actually do any vocals on this album. He's the bass player. Um, but his bass playing on this album is basically the same idea. So at the core of this band, um, it's just standard early 2000s tech death, really, of three brilliant musicians in terms of bass player, drum and guitar, and then uh, vocalist uh, Claudius Schwartz. He's just your kind of mid-level, kind of clear grunter. But the the difference between them and a lot of the stuff is just the complexity and weirdness of this album. So it starts in a really odd fashion with the um, the first like fifteen seconds of it are basically just a cappella vocals, and then some guitar riffing comes in, and then Rainer comes in and just plays this completely bizarre little tapping lick kind of a la Stab Wound by Necrophagist. And actually, there is stuff in this where this album really seems to be in that Necrophagist vein of absolute tech wank noncery of, like, just ridiculous solos and musicianships. Throughout it, like, they are relatively standard death metal riffs, sometimes leaning on a slightly blackened flavour in places, but the bass playing just never sits still. It's it's clearly highly jazz-influenced, ridiculously technical. Um, so many runs at like, a just ludicrous pace. This guy has some incredible music training. Like, but uh, guitarist uh, Michael Peliskowski... Um, sorry... Michael's the, the drummer, I do apologise. Armin Rave, the guitarist, certainly isn't outshone on this album. He His leads are utterly ridiculous. His shredding is just mind-blowing, and the riffing is incredibly powerful. Much like Afterbirth, because they've just got the single guitar, there's a lot of space for the guitar and bass to play off each other. In fact, they kind of have to to make... Um, to, you know, to fill out the sound. Uh, the drums are, are really well played throughout as well. There is often a kind of like slightly jazzy feel to this, but I'd say more so than um, about like like particularly Necrophagia's Epitaph. It 
doesn't really lose the heaviness so much. Like, even the kind of more soloy sections are still quite aggressive and pummeling. And, and the kind of, the level of melodicism isn't quite there. This is more chaotic and kind of evil and scary sounding. Um, whereas, yeah, some of the solos just descend into kind of horribleness, but it's kind of brilliant as well. And the way the guitar and bass play off each other in some of these sections is it's ludicrous where you have, like, sort of the guitar go for a run, and as that run's finishing, the bass will run down, like, a similar selection of notes at a similar pace. Yeah, it's just really interesting stuff. Interestingly, this band has basically been the same four guys all the way back since 1987. Apparently they're on hold now, but yeah. And none of them have really done a great deal of other things other than uh, drummer Michael um, is in, you may be aware of, the black metal band Dark and Nocturnal Slaughter Cult. Fairly standard black metal, but pretty well done. So yeah, at least at least he's got on to do something else. But realistically, yeah, there's not been a great deal of stuff from these guys. But I think, considering the time period, this is pre all that stuff me and Rob were talking about about a year back, that kind of that wave of albums, the Necrophage Epitaph, Annihilation of the Wicked, Behemoth's Demigod, and probably like you know, the really famous decapitated stuff. It's slightly pre that, but definitely playing at a level and a kind of level of inventiveness with Tech Death. I don't know that it had an influence, but it's certainly a kind of forgotten gem, and I believe those that did know it were probably very into it. So anyway, this is uh, Pavor, or Pavor, P-A-V-O-R, with uh, their album Furioso.
Okay, so the reason I was covering that band, other than that I really like them, is to set up the uh, next album I want to talk about. So in mid-2019, uh, Rainer Lantham and the, the bass player of that band put out a solo album, Mind What in Denia Dunkelect. Um And this album is utterly fucking bizarre. Um, So I was talking about previously in Bethlehem, he had gone for this incredibly strange vocal approach, this kind of combination of very off-kilter, off-time black metal vocals mixed with these incredibly high shrieks and so on. And then in uh, Pavel, we, we see his incredibly jazzy, complex technical bass playing so in this album he has brought in both those elements um he's credited with playing all the instruments although he does have um guest drummer in the form of michael from from pavor uh a guest double bass player uh armin rave uh, is back for some lead guitar and uh, also uh, an additional guest drummer and a guest uh a guest pianist uh this album is just so strange. The opener, you can pretty much tell you're not in for a usual journey within the opening moments. So it starts off with a mellow passage of synth and cello. Um, and then his, like, his shrieks come in and his bizarre jazzy bass playing come in. And I don't know what I'm listening to anymore. It's this, this kind of mid-place between classical and jazz and avant-garde black metal. Um, the the mellow cello and synth sort of continue as the backing for this whole first song. But then the, the bass goes off into this utterly incredible solo, like truly ridiculous level of speed and complexity to it, but still a great melodicism. There's a real... Um, there's a real kind of sadness to this track. It's, it's quite atmospheric if you can get your head around just the left-field weirdness of it. But then in later tracks, we get stuff like... This develops in moments into full-blown, like, death metal blasting. Um, the second track uh, with with uh, uh, Armin Solo on it is, like, proper shreddy, like, death metal, but yet with this, this complex vocal approach. And then elements of like neoclassical stuff thrown in there there is elements of most genres thrown in there there's some actually something it really puts me in mind of in places is those old like kind of very late 70s very early 80s jazz rock fusion bands the kind of re- your return to forevers um that kind of that kind of stuff there is a there's a moment um in i think it's in genius drang track eight of a proper like chick korea-esque uh, keyboard solo and especially the way that the bass and drums are interacting kind of both like soloing in their own way is very interesting, especially considering actually Rainer's ability as a bass player. It's incredibly weird. He also has a guest double basis on there, but it does offer a very different texture in the places it appears. The songs are immensely well crafted and layered. They're very short for the most part, often in like the three minute realm. But the say when they have moments of death metal. Those bits often give way or overlap with the kind of neoclassical stuff or the jazzy stuff. And it all flows together very smoothly. What I'm describing might sound to you in many ways like, a, say, a band like Igor. 
Um, but actually, it's far less. Um, it's far less chaotic than Igor. It's far less like far sporadic changing. Like how Igor's like right. Here's a new genre. Here's a new genre. Just like blinking, we've changed genres. With this, the movements between them are at least logical. The thing that is never logical in this album is Rainer's vocal approach. That his shrieks are utterly ridiculous but they are so good i do think um although he's only got this album and that one bethlehem album under his belt as a black metal vocalist i think he's one of the greats like his performance on that bethlehem album is legendary if you don't have a copy of it so the second album highly recommend if you're any kind of you know have any interest in that kind of first wave like norwegian black metal that kind of bit of time very much a classic and a lot of that is down to this brilliant vocal performance on this it really works despite the music not really really ever being black metal it has an incredible depth of emotion to it there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of a lot of incredible weirdness and creativity and it fits with the songs which are this whole album is impossible to place beyond calling it avant-garde like beyond any the cover like gives nothing away like he has his name written in a kind of like slightly spacey sci-fi font and the front cover is a picture of a ballet dancer and the whole lyric book for the album is loads of pictures of this ballet dancer in different costumes and different poses the the album cover also features his signature which makes it feel very much like like a kind of neoclassical release or something it's just very very strange extremely pretentious music um i've like i'm gonna drop in a cliff in a bit and i think you will be on board straight away or you'll hate it i don't i don't think this is one that if you give it time it will make sense i think this is something you're going to be open to this level of weirdness or think it's just pretentious nonsense i mean looking at just the the band photo of rayner you know things got very pretentious he looks like a hitman in it so he used to have fantastic long curly hair he's cut all that off and he's wearing like a smart black jacket and pulling on some uh black leather gloves he looks like a hitman in this this photo it's it's definitely worth worth looking up but yeah just one of the most interesting releases i've heard in a while in terms of just being off the chart new plumbing new territories and actually managing to keep a level of of melody and emotion in there and and, and inventiveness it, it, it's fantastic it's really really interesting stuff Warum du hier bist? 
apologies, I went on a bit of a bass player related tangent there. So I'm uh, going to go for something completely different next. This is the uh, very recently released Don't Walk on Mass Graves split between the Irish melodic doom band Morning Beloveth and the German more atmospheric blackened doom band The Ruins of Beverest. So um, regular listeners will know Ruins of Beverest I featured on my um, top 10 of the decade. I think uh, their latest album Mixuvia is absolutely incredible and honestly going back through the back back catalogue pretty much everything they've put out has has been incredibly solid stuff Uh, this this track uh, silhouettes of death's grace is no different from that it's um i'd say not quite as ritualistic as um as some of the exuvia moments but certainly has a lot of their staples of the slow burning atmosphere into extremely heavy moments it's another crushing song from them i would say it doesn't do a great deal to stand out from what's gone before it's just more or less another yeah very good ruins of beverage song not reinventing the wheel but definitely getting my hopes up for um any release coming in future but actually, what steals the show with this release um, is Side A, Morning Beloveds, uh, I Saw a Dying Child in Your Arms, is utterly incredible. So they're a band I'm sort of aware of. I saw them play live at Damnation a few years ago. They've been going for years, since uh, apparently since like 1992, although their first album was 2001. They were a really um, solid back catalogue of doing sort of doom slash death metal stuff. Where this album, well, not this album, this track is really interesting is normally they're they're a screen vocal primarily band, but guitarist Frank Brennan also does some fantastic clean vocals. This track is nearly exclusively clean vocals and actually doesn't even really like delve into the the death metal that much it's just incredibly melodic. The guitar's quite clean for a lot of it, although. Oddly complex in places, like, the start of the show is just Frank's vocals are fucking brilliant. The The lyric writing is incredible. The delivery is so soulful and powerful. It's ten minutes of this slowly building track that comes from, like, just a very gentle start point, gets more heavy towards the end. But over this ten minutes, it is just tugging at your heartstrings throughout. It is... It is mind-blowing. It's such a good song. I think I kind of kicked myself off for not delving into this band deeper after hearing it because this is just absolutely brilliantly written Doom. This This is the essence of what Doom should be, I feel. That kind of really mournful, soul-crushing music. And it's really like the construction of the song is brilliant but it's really on frank's vocal performance it it is just amazing the way the way he continually finds ways to build over the course of the 10 minute runtime as well um it also features the most soulful uh way the line stench of rotten flesh has ever been uh, ever been said in the song i'm gonna go out a lot limb there um, they, they kind of keep things interesting as well. Vocalist Darren Moore gets in towards the end, adding these kind of like 
harsh backing screens were kind of like layered in the background it's just brilliant i like i know this is only essentially a 20 minute short split but i advise everyone who enjoys doom to go out and give this a go because it's incredible it's just really really beautiful music So for some more genre whiplash, uh, the next band I'm going to be covering is Azure Emote, who are a Philadelphia-based band who play, apparently, avant-garde death metal. This is their third album, The Third Perspective. Yet another band on this list with a free album pun going on. Um, these guys have been going since 2003, and I think it's very much like a side project of the members involved. So they're made up of... Um, uh, Mike Heller on drums, who most famously in Fear Factory currently, and also uh, Brutal Death Metal Band Malignancy. Ryan Mole on guitar of Rumble Silkskin Grinder and Total Fucking Destruction. And Mike uh, Hubovkak of um, most famously Monstrosity and Vile. He's been with Monstrosity since uh, their Spiritual Apocalypse album. And it's quite an interesting, unique voice. But yeah, as you can see, already kind of a weird setup. Um, this album certainly is out there. It's uh, from the very start. It's odd. It's very, very sci-fi influenced. Um, there's a lot as the album comes in. There's a lot of uh, clean, like female vocals over this kind of like sci-fi um, keyboards and so on. And then like proper drums, blast beats, and scream vocals come in. 
but the whole album has quite a sort of unique lurch back and forth between styles. There's there's certainly a core of modern technical death metal in there. Like all three of the members have at least some experience with that kind of genre. But then there's guest violins, clean female and male vocals, um, and all these like cheesy sci-fi synths. It's very strange, and like a lot of the bits where the violin melodies come in sound very kind of medieval folky. Um, it's it's a strange choice, but I think it kind of works. It's certainly one of those albums where they've got something unique going on. Maybe like a little bit in a similar vein to a band like the Monolith Death Cult, although they don't have the overt heaviness of, of a band like that because they use so much of the guest vocals and the, the kind of... Um, but actually, uh, so Mike is credited as well of playing like flute, harmonica and keyboards as well on this. So there's a lot of other... Uh, melodies thrown in there. A lot of that stops this from ever verging over into being a properly extreme album, I'd say, at any point. It's still very much, I guess, rooted in death metal. The, um, yeah, a lot of the tracks on this are really interesting. Uh, I think, like, the opener loss verges is into being a bit too cheesy, but then the next track, Curse of Life, comes across as far more kind of death metal influence. Now, I think that's where the band kind of shine when the the kind of fun additional elements they've thrown in there don't completely overload the sound and become the kind of sole focus of it. One of the other elements they sort of use sporadically throughout this is kind of taking a bit more of an electronica influence places. Towards the end of the album, track 369 has a fantastic... Um, break down into like entirely sort of electronic program music that he's massively ruined by dropping a Bill Hicks quote over it. Now, nothing against Bill Hicks, you know, I grew up loving a lot of his comedy, but he is way too overused at this point. And it's not even like a, it's not even a obscure quote and it goes on for way too long. Like that's, that a bit I found quite cringeworthy. But that does bring us into the closer, uh, Solitary Striving. Now, this track is frustrating. It's about 12 minutes long, and it has some fantastic bits. Um, really good use of the violin in here. Really good use of some of those kind of more classical slash folksy melodies mixing with the death metal. The reason this song's frustrating is because it keeps almost being absolutely brilliant it keeps almost being like a proper incredible mind-blowing song but never quite evolving to where i want it to go it like it stays kind of mellow and subdued almost throughout and i think if they could have built out of because it kind of feels like it's building and if they, they'd actually got to a payoff got to a really heavy fast or technical or maybe even just like lead guitar-y moment it would have been utterly incredible. As it stands, it is a very good piece of music, but it just feels like an idea that if they'd evolve slightly more and run with, 
it could have been really good. Overall, though, this this is an album I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Like, Mike, I've really enjoyed his vocals in Monstrosity. Like, I was really big into Spiritual Apocalypse when it came out all the way back in, like, 2007. So it's great to hear him on some more stuff in recent years. And, like, his performance on this is, is great. Like, the drumming and guitar work in this is absolutely fantastic. Some of the leads on this are yeah utterly like ridiculous and in that really cool like it's kind of melodic yet technical kind of vein honestly this album if you're into your tech death is worth picking up for the death metal elements alone some of the clean vocals and so on may be off-putting for you but uh the guest vocalist melissa Falak has a fantastic voice she's just really oddly used in places so this might well really be your thing i i enjoy it I'm not sure every experiment they've thrown in there works perfectly. that track basically descended into an almost Osric tentacles bit but yeah that that was azure remote um next up uh, is a band i've seen quite a lot of hype about this release so this is solifus with their third album realm of ash and blood put out in 20 bucks spin um i think towards the end of march this is pretty by the numbers, Death Doom. I don't mean that in a bad way, but this is a band that sticks to the Death Doom kind of staples solidly and just hone that and do it really well. So they're a Finnish-based band. All the members seem to have a lot of experience with other bands as well, none of which I'm particularly aware of. Yawning Void, uh, Sepulchral Curse, Cataleptic, Gorophilia, Winter War... Yeah, I haven't actually heard of any of these other bands that shows my lacking knowledge around the uh, Finnish scene. So this is, 
when I say Death Doom, it is very much in the heavier, groovier end of Death Doom. Not so much like Mournful Congregation, particularly not like that Mournful Congregation, not Mournful Congregation, Morning Beloved for the moment, particularly not like the song we heard of theirs earlier. Um, so vocalist Kari for all of this um, is doing this low, impenetrable bark and with occasional higher screams thrown in there, but mostly in that lower register throughout. What grabbed me about it sounds straight away, it's just a fantastically nasty guitar and bass tone. It's just really grimy, heavy, but massive sounding as well. The, the first couple of riffs are a really slow plot, but it kind of slowly builds up into a more groovy kind of like death metal elements. Um, and it actually throws in some interesting stuff as well, putting in occasional bits of clean tone guitar over the top of these segments. It's an album where it does really well when it's just grooving and just wallowing in the heaviness, which it pretty much does for its entire 42-minute runtime. There's a few, like, interesting standout moments. Um, there's, like, a really good bit um, in it where uh, the Gallows Promise transitions into Last Breath, the short, like, interlude track. Um, and Gallows Promise is a particularly heavy moment of the album, and it transitions perfectly into the beautiful melody of this interlude, and then just back into heavy, like... This section feels like it could have almost sat in the middle of middle of a song rather than splitting two. But yeah, again, another band using interludes how they should be, where they really feel like part of the flow of the album rather than the band just like slamming on the brakes for no reason. There's a couple of moments of great guitar solos on this. They're very much solos in the kind of, you know, blues-influenced doom realm. They're not like some of the sort of tech dev stuff we've been talking about earlier. But really well written, play with a lot of feeling, and, and again, like the lead tone, everything about this is just tonally right for this album. And talking of striking the right tone, album cover is really beautiful, like an amazing kind of red and brown colour palette featuring like a, a kind of Conan the Barbarian type warrior kneeling before a pile of bodies with death having his hand on his shoulder. Yeah, it just... It just looks really, really good. It's definitely, definitely something I'd like to get a t-shirt off. Struggling to find a lot to say about this one. As I say, it is, this is kind of death doom by the numbers. If you're a fan of, say, I think bands, particularly bands like Conan, um, very much in that kind of vein. And yeah, you can't go wrong with this. Just absolutely solid music. So this is Solifus, Realm of Ash and Blood.
Okay, so next up we have the debut album from uh, Peru's Arcada. This is Projections, released on Edge Circle Productions. So these guys have been going since 2012. I think they've got an EP and a couple of demos out before this, but this is their first proper full length. And it's really, really decent. This is some very competently played quite traditional black metal like there's no real surprises on this album but much like Solifus before it's just another example of a band doing a genre really well like I, I so initially bought this album just off the strength of the album cover alone much like Solifus it's just really really cool looking album cover and shows what they can do for a band even in the modern age of selling your records a very complex sort of faux biblical looking piece with a really cool colour palette. Again, it's another short album under under the 40 minute mark, this one, but it works perfectly for what it is. You've got five tracks of full plelt blasting black metal throughout um they're just aggressive and heavy songs. But with like a really nice production to them. Like the thing this band's done right is just get the just get the tone of everything perfect uh the drummer's performance on this is like really like the standout bit of the band he's his blast beats are just fantastic throughout he does a lot of that riding the bell of the ride symbol so you get that that kind of like like ding 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 over like all the kind of like mad blasting which which kind of i i find quite useful for giving giving you an anchor in it Again, another weird one of a black metal band with only one guitarist, so one bass player, one guitarist. Um, and again, I think it kind of helps his mix because the bass player has a really, although he's not a technically particularly complex guy, he's a really filled out position in the mix, which just, I, I don't know, I, I, I you, you know, I, I obviously really like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel it adds a lot to the sound. I just, yeah, it's just... Is an album where they just get the um, get all the tones right. The vocal performance is really fun as well. He does a lot of these like howls where he holds them for way longer than you would expect, and yeah, there's something about that that just like really grabs your attention. Um, I'd say overall, this is probably a little too straight up for for my taste in black metal. I could have done with a couple more surprises, but for a debut. It's really good, and you know a lot of people don't like all the kind of avant-garde nonsense I enjoy in black metal and the black metal. So if you want something that's a little more traditional, but just with all the advances of modern recordings and kind of a relatively forward-thinking ideas around tone and so on, this album is definitely worth a go. So this is Arcada with their debut projections. Um, I think. I think I picked this up off of Ivoid Hanger Records, although on Metallum they're they're listed under under another label, but yeah, whatever. Definitely if you're into your black metal, give this a go.
looking at my list, I realise I've got like about another ten bands I want to cover, so I won't do this all in one episode because I think that might be a bit too much of a dump of new music. So I'll just leave you with one more, one that kind of fits with some of the stuff we've been talking about. This is Ishan's new EP put out in February called Telemark, um, which probably sounds more cool in Norwegian because to me it just sounds like someone who's a target for telemarketing. But anyway, this is... I guess Ishan continuing down the line of uh, what he's been doing for a while. So he's doing all the guitars, vocals, bass, keyboard with Tobias, uh, of previously of Leprous and Shining on drums, and Jürgen uh, Munkeby of Shining, Norwegian one that is, um, on saxophone. What's sort of interesting about this EP, so it's three original tracks and two covers. With the three originals... Um, I don't know how true this has been before, but Ishan sings all of them in what I believe is Norwegian, and it sounds really good. Like, I don't believe, and I, I could be totally, totally wrong, on a lot of his previous studios, I think he mainly sings in English, but actually the Norwegian gives this stuff a much kind of harsher edge. There's a lot of, um, like with the opening track, uh, Strydig, um, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Like... It's quite a brutal track by his standards, even in places using, using Jürgen's uh, sax as like almost a more rhythmic kind of sound rather than like a kind of more aggressive lead. Um, yeah, it's, it's got some quite heavy moments in it, but then really offsets them with quite kind of like old school, like 70s classic rock feeling bits of lead guitar. Tobias does these great sections of like endlessly rolling snares where you'll just keep building something up for way past the bit where you think it's going to pay off and then there are those kind of classic sax sax leads we've come to expect um from from an Ishan recording these days yet yeah, these first two tracks particularly really struck me as um yeah some of the better stuff he's put out in a while and then the title track telemark um it's quite odd. It almost feels very um, Borknigar inspired. Actually, it really put me in mind of a track from ICS Vortex's solo album back in, I think, like, 2012. Um, yeah, it was a very, very interesting one. Obviously, the musicianship's incredible. The production sounds great. Ishan's kind of got all that nailed at this point. But I do think he threw a few ideas that struck me as kind of interesting in here. Particularly on that opening track, some of those leads struck me as, yeah, just him throwing something a little different into the mix. This album mainly focuses on his screen vocals as well. I think there's a couple of clean vocal passages in there, but it's it's far more of a, a screened record. Um, and yeah, I, I think definitely one not to ignore just because it's an EP. It doesn't feel like totally throwaway. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of meat on those, those free tracks to get into. Something I realised listening to this album, I really lament it. Um, so on the albums after An Angel, his second and third solo album, and my favourites of his, his solo career, he had bassist Lars K. Nordberg, who was an incredibly talented bass player, I think often using like a fretless and doing some quite interesting stuff over the music. I'm really starting to feel I'm missing his presence in Ishong. Like... I, not necessarily even that, I just, I think, 
I know he very much likes steering the ship and being in charge of what he's doing, but I think he could really benefit from having a dedicated bass player in the band again. But, you know, that that's just me. My, uh, maybe, you know, maybe you think his stuff has improved with time. But yeah, it, just, like, it, it occurred to me for the first time I'd really actually be missing that in his later albums. So I can't go, I can't leave this review without talking uh, about uh, the two covers on the end of this album. So we have Rock and Roll is Dead, a Lenny Kravitz cover, which, yeah, that sounds abysmal, right? It, it fucking is. It's horrible. It's such a bad, it, it, it's perfectly well played, but why is he doing, I, I, I don't know why this exists. It doesn't make any sense. We do not need a screaming cover of a Lenny Kravitz song. Now, weirdly, the next cover is Iron Maiden's Wrathchild, and Ishan, despite having a great clean range, screams the whole song, and it has Jürgen's saxophone throughout it, but actually, I think it kind of works. Like, because the kind of sort of punky energy of, you know, this is, you know, early Maiden, that kind of mixed with a slight jazziness, but then the aggressive, like black metal vocals something about it 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 works it's really silly but it's actually quite good fun the prettiest track i had to delete from my from my music library but this one yeah actually really a good laugh yeah so that i mean for, for my money there was over 20 minutes of really enjoyable music on this and and actually i think some of the stronger tracks he's put out for a while uh so yeah definitely don't don't Ignore this one just because it's in that EP format. Right, so as I say, I've got another 10 or so albums like I'd really like to talk about that have come out relatively recently, but I think I'll hold off for another episode, maybe release that in a week or so's time. Um, yeah, so hope you hope you enjoyed this slightly sort of relaxed format of me just talking about kind of what I'm listening to. Uh, I've not had a great deal of topic ideas that I'd really like to dive into in the near future. I've got a couple I'm working on, but they're they're all kind of extremely research heavy, so it'll probably be a few more months away. If you've got something you want me to cover, um, hit me up. Uh, you can send me an email at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com, uh, on Twitter at breakfastmetal, or Facebook, uh, just search for Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook. You can join the page there. I try and post on the Twitter and Facebook page every so often, and if you, you message me, I'll try my best to respond. I, I do often miss messages, but if I do, just message me again. <laughs> I do apologise if I haven't got back to any of you. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening to this one. I hope you're all holding up all right in this uh, these uh, interesting times, um, not getting too mad being locked in the house all day. Thanks a lot for listening. This is Ishan Strydig. <laughs>